You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that theater is a part of the the work and and the project of being a citizen because you have to collect around a group of people who are performing an idea or performing a set of ideas for you. And that's what I think plays are. They're just like gestures towards that community to try to get people to start thinking and talking about um, what's happening. So it's it's always going to be valuable for that. Now, whether or not the society that we live in is actively promoting that value is the tricky moment we're in, I think. Welcome to the Black Business of Broadway, a podcast brought to you by the Broadway League and Black to Broadway. Here, we highlight the stories, how-tos, and successes of the Black professionals and legends of Broadway. I'm your host, Janine Scott. Today's guest is James Imes, a Tony Award-nominated playwright and Pulitzer Prize winner for his play, Fat Ham. James has authored several acclaimed plays, including Kill, Move, Paradise, and TJ Loves, Sally, Forever, just to name a few. His plays have been produced by Flashpoint Theatre Company, Theatre Horizon, William Theatre, among several others. James has received a Bachelor's of Arts in Drama from Morehouse College and a Master of Fine Arts in Acting from Temple University. He is also an Associate Professor of Theatre at Villanova University. Welcome, James, and thank you for joining us today. So we're going to jump right in. How... How did you even start writing? I, I, I'm told that you were like 14 or 15 when your grandmother yeah. like encouraged you. Yeah. What sparked that interest? I, I think I was a I was an anxious child and I was um I was curious and and my anxiety and my sort of curiosity sort of also made me a little bit of a of a temperamental child. And so I started writing really to sort of like process how I was feeling. And I think my grandmother and my whole family sort of took note of that. And I was like, that's okay. That's an impulse that you probably should follow. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother um, was in charge of the Christmas program at our church. And she was like, you should, you should write something for that. And I did. And that was the first pl- play that I ever wrote. And I think I was 15 years old. Um, it, it, it was bad. I, I recently read it like someone gave me a copy of it um, 
for Christmas. My my grandmother gave it to me when I was home for Christmas, and I was just like, "Whoa, like, this is <laughs> not interested in character development or plot, really. Just sort of like knew how to put names and lines on the page, but um, the form just made a lot of sense to me. And so I just played with it as a hobby for a long time. Um, and it wasn't until about 10 years ago that I started to get really, really intentional and, um, and a, you know, sort of had a plan of like how I wanted playwriting to be a part of my career. Well, you know, it's a common theme. This is we're now starting our third season. It is a common theme for many of our guests to talk about church either the writing or the acting or the singing or the lighting design from just flipping a switch, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's a theme. And I, I love it because it lets the public know that art is everywhere mm-hmm. and that it can be cultivated everywhere. It, it's not just yeah. in the theater and that we as black folks, are not new to yeah. art. Broadway's just new to us, <laughs> you know. <but> yes, <laughs> yes, right. very true. And I mean, I think that that my first theatrical experiences were in church. Yeah, but you went to college as mm-hmm. a vocal and conductor. Okay, so <laughs> when I was in high school, I was really, really. Um, fanatically so into choral music. Ah. Uh, I sang in choir from ninth grade through college. I, I, I ninth grade through senior year. Um, I didn't start doing theater classes until I was a, a senior in high school, so that came pretty late. The theater classes, um, and I went to college thinking that I wanted to be a choral music teacher. So I had every intention of I, I, I. Had, I enrolled as a vocal performance major with the ambition of being conducting concentration. And I auditioned for um, a show at Clark Atlanta University. It was a production of Once on this Island. Mm -hmm. And Carol Mitchell Leon was directing this production. I don't know if you you know, aware of the late, great Carol Mitchell Leon, um, who was a real... um, pillar of the the theater community in, in Atlanta, Georgia. She was uh, a professor of mine and she was directing this play and I auditioned and I got cast as Ogwe, which is a not an easy song to sing. Right? <laughs> like, Whoa. <laughs> and I loved it. You know, it um it it really uh captured me the the theater. And then, you know, uh, later on I applied to the short play festival at Clark Atlanta. And it's one of the first times a play of mine was ever done in that festival, a play called spin cycle that I don't talk about very much because it was very, very early, early, early play. But um, it was directed by my friend, Jonice Abbott Pratt. And, and it, it just, um, I was like, Oh, I want this to be a part of, of what I do. I just didn't think it was something that people were going to pay me to do. <laughs> um, but I knew that I needed to be writing. And so I, I continued to write from there. That just sort of like, you know, made the engine stronger for me. Right. Um, yeah. So was that, the, would you say that was the moment that, that you knew that this is, this is, this is, this might be a path for you? No, the moment that I knew 
that I wanted to work in the theater, I did a production a couple of years later at Morehouse of Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And I played Bynum. Um, and I was opposite um, Oscar nominee Brian Tyree Henry in that production. That's how we got to be um, pretty good friends. And um, that play, that process, working on that play, and then we got to meet August Wilson. Wow. He, came, he was honored by Morehouse while we were there. And um, I was like, I, I want to do this. And to meet a playwright, a living playwright, I was like, okay, I... Yeah. yeah, I think my ambition got sort of heated up at that point. Um, and I didn't go to grad school for playwriting because my, you know, I, I, at that time, it was kind of hard to get into a playwriting program without some, right. some plays under your belt. And I didn't really have any. And so I went to grad school for acting and loved it and have had a, a, a very good acting career. But um, right. the first love has always been mm. writing for the stage. You know, I read somewhere that you mentioned you wrote you wrote yourself out of Bessemer City, North Carolina. Can you expand on that? Like what is what is that what does that mean and why was it important to you? I mean, I I love Bessemer City. Mm-hmm. I go back to Bessemer City all the time. Um my my grandmother still lives there. I have family that's still there. I'm you know, it's it's a an important part of my creative DNA, mm-hmm. actual history, I was never going to be able to do what I'm doing now from there. And so the thing that um, I think helped me sort of move out of, you know, sort of feeling like I needed to be in that town with my family was um, was just my imagination and my my desire to tell stories. And so when I say I wrote myself out of Bessemer City, it wasn't like, oh, I'm abandoning this place. It was like, no, I I have to, I have to write myself into the world as it were, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the way coming home is, um, just a different experience. You know, I wanted to go off and do something and make these people proud of me because they had invested so much in me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a black gay kid from a small town. I needed to get out of there, <laughs> you know, in the nineties, you know, like, I mean, you know, now yeah. I think it's different, Yeah. but yeah. like when I was getting out of high school, I could just see that if I stayed there, I wasn't going to be the person that I, I needed to be and I wanted to be. So I, I needed to get out of there. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of how it's manifested itself for me. Well, and you can, you can see it, um, you know, in Fat Ham, the the talking of, um, of being able to embrace and be who, who you are and how you developed, uh, Juicy. So Fat Ham is a modern adaptation of Shakespeare's Hamlet set in the American South. It tells the story of Juicy, a young black man who is visited by the ghost of his father at his mother's barbecue slash wedding to, um, Uncle Rev Pap. And the ghost asks Juicy to avenge his murder by his uncle. And so similar to Juicy, you know, you grew up in the South what influences did you bring from that South to the play? Hmm. 
I think most of what I brought is um, the way people speak, the storytelling, the sort of, you know, signifying to use Henry Louis Gates here, you know, the the telling the tale, but like telling the tale a little bigger, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the sort of um, force intimacy of family. Right. That I think sometimes queer people um, who have family that struggle with their identity feel, um, where you're you're very close to these people and you love them and they mean a lot to you, but they don't completely understand what you know what you're doing and who you are and what's going on with you, and that's you know not a bad thing for them and and it's it's not the worst thing for you, but it is complicated, um, but just also like little cultural significantly or things that are significant to me. Like I think about the moment when uh, Larry makes Juicy a plate mm -hmm. as a, this act of love. Um, and that's like a thing. It was like, oh, can you make me a plate? Like there's something about that that's just so uniquely Southern mm -hmm. and Black. And us, yeah. That And us, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that I wanted to, to have in the mix there. Um, the sort of, uh, you know, a ghost shows up in this play and he's, he's scared, but he doesn't, he doesn't run away. Like, right. And I, you know, a part of what I'm interested in is, you know, one of the things that I've done post pandemic is reframe my relationship to thinking about my ancestors and how I keep those people close to me. Um, and so Juicy's conversation with his father is the conversation that they always wanted to have with each other. Um, you know, Pap, for whatever reason, wasn't able to have that conversation. Juicy, for whatever reason, wasn't able to have that conversation. But post-life, mm -hmm. there's this potential to understand something that an ancestor did. Yes. Um, or there's a potential for forgiveness or potential for redemption for someone. And that was interesting to me too. You know, um, I think our society a little has, has become very carceral that um, the notion of failure is like not, all, it's not available to everybody, you know, especially black folks. It's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And so, um, I wanted to, you know, give this very messy, toxic, awful father a moment to maybe try to make it right. He doesn't. He tells his son to go kill his uncle. <laughs> but in the middle of that, in the midst of that, there's this moment that I love where he says, I really messed you up, didn't I? Yeah. That's an omission of, like, your harm to someone, which is a first step. Right. So. My hope is that that sort of makes people, you know, you know, why you have the person be able to like sort of try to get those relationships in a good space. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's all the stuff that sort of comes from my life. I mean, none of the characters are really like people in my family. Right. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> um, and none of them are really like me. With right. I mean, the close the one that's closest to me is maybe Tio. OK. Um Cause I stay out of people's business and you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, where's James? Oh, Oh, you missed everything. Oh dang. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that. I'm like, where, where did he go? And where is he coming from? He just appears. He just appears. He went to go get some shoes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he 
some other stuff, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but so how did you, how did you say, okay, Hamlet, like, mm-hmm. how did, how did you draw inspiration from Hamlet of all, of all plays? Well, the, f- the first Shakespeare I ever read was uh, Julius Caesar in high school. I think it was in high school. And I was like, oh, this is dope. This is great. I I just love the way that the character spoke. Every everything sounded like it was important. Now this is like you know mm-hmm. young me reading Shakespeare for the first time, and then in college I was cast in a scene like an abbreviated version of Hamlet in college, and I got cast as Hamlet, and it's that first big scene with everybody in it where you know though yet of Hamlet our dear brother's death the memory be green that that scene where Claudius is his taken mm-hmm. the throne and I played Hamlet in that scene. And I, I remember thinking what a fabulous moment in this play, everybody's here. And so what happens if the whole play happened and played out at this party? Ah. And that's where the idea of like starting my version of Hamlet very close to that moment. Um, and then they never leave the party. Everything, all the stuff happens uh-huh. inside of the context of the party. Um, and that felt really rich. It felt like, a, um, you know, the, I knew that people who knew Hamlet be, would be waiting for the story to move outside of this location or the, and it never does that. Mm-hmm. It just, it stays there. And then, you know, the whole thing of course erupts at the end and becomes something utterly completely different. Um, but that's where it started. I mean, like I, I had always had a love affair with the play. And then maybe about six years ago, I just like started noodling with it and reading it and, and then wrote it uh, over the course of a year. I think I like, it's, I think it was maybe 2017, 2018. I, I sort of finished the first drafts of it um, and then didn't send it anywhere. Cause I was like, <laughs> why not? I don't know. It was like, um, there was a bit of me that was like, how, who do, who do you think you are? <laughs> is, you know, one of the most, um, I, I don't know if I want to, uh, beloved or um, revered, I'll use that language, plays in the English language. Mm-hmm. Um, to sort of say, I'm going to mess with it. And I knew that there had been other adaptations of it. Um, but I just, more, I, I don't know, I, that didn't deter me. And I like a challenge. And I also like messing with the canon, like the things that we say are like, mm-hmm. you know, really important. I feel like that's happening more and more, um, both on Broadway and, and off Broadway and in right. the regions. People are are looking at those plays in new ways. I also, I also have to say I was really inspired by, there was a, um, a lot of adaptation that I was seeing around and I was like, this is so cool. So like it, it I felt like I was a part of mm-hmm. a lot of people doing a similar sort of thing. Right. Well, and I mean, we look, we talk about theater and some people are, you know, are like, Oh, theater's dying. Theater's going to, you know, it, it, you hear all those different narr- narratives that I, I don't believe to be true because I love theater. You discuss the role of theater and its importance um, mm-hmm. given the prevalence of social media, movies, films, TV shows, and other forms of entertainment. So why do you still believe in, in the vehicle of live theater? 
Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very similar to me in the same way that people go to concerts, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that collective effervescence, um, that we, one would get at church, let's say, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, at a, at a sporting event, these are, these are things that we sort of crave and we're sort of built to, to sort of collect and do things like that. Um, whether it's in worship or if it's in, you know, fun or hedonism or whatever, (laughs) whatever it might, whatever your pleasure is. Um, I think we are a little designed to do that. I think that theater is a part of the, the work and and the project of being a citizen because you have to collect around a group of people who are performing an idea or performing a set of ideas for you. And that's what I think plays are. They're just like gestures towards that community to try to get people to start thinking and talking about um, what's happening. So it's, it's always going to be valuable for that. Now, whether or not the society that we live in is actively promoting that value mm. is the tricky moment, yeah. in, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I, I say for theater, you know, and one of the things that we tried really hard to do with Fat Ham is that it needed to feel imperative that you be in the space with other people when it was happening. And that um, we wanted there to be not only a cathartic experience, which I think is so key to theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's okay for plays to sort of leave people sort of on the on the cliff, right. absolutely. But I also think there's great value in allowing people that release at the end, um, that sort of dopamine rush of recognition, that mm-hmm. dopamine rush of the pleasure of what you're watching, the, you know, the delight, all of that stuff is, I think, really valuable. Um, and so it's really about us creating events that, um, I use the language of, of event um, really intentionally right. because people have to get up and leave their house and, and their streaming devices and their TikToks and their, you know, we don't have to be in competition with that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we just have to lean more fully into the thing that we do really well, which is uh, collect people and make them all move together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's tricky to do and it's hard to do. And, you know, it requires a lot more creativity and, and nuance than most people want to <laughs> So true, so true, so true. But it's, but at the same time, you know, and I, and I, and again, I said this before we started recording, every time I went, I took away something different. And it's because I, I I truly believe the people I was surrounded with, you know, helped to inform somewhat how I took in, you know, what was going on in addition to what my day was like, you know, mm-hmm. was I especially vulnerable walking in? Because there's there are some there are some real moments where you're just like, oh. And 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 one moment was when um when Juicy's mother, you know. Uh, she comes, she comes out to him. And I think, I th- and she starts, she starts crying and, you know, and she's like pounding on his chest and I'm just like, oh my gosh, it, 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 I started, I started welling up too. 
because mm-hmm. it was such a it was so surreal and it was such a sincere moment of like I need you I need you and and you think about the people in your lives you know in your family dynamics and you you think about those moments and um yeah, it was, I, I, you know, the first and second time I didn't walk away that way. But the third time, I mean, I started bawling and it's like, okay, girl, you yeah. didn't seen this like two other times, you know, what's about to happen. But yeah. at the same time, I, I just received it differently that day. And, yeah. and that is, and that's why, and that's why I love theater so much. That's the magic. I mean, you don't know. I, I had a student one time, um, describe the audience as the crowd. That's always stayed with me. I love teaching because they like they always like say something where I'm like, whoa, Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking that that was going to knock something was going to knock me over today. But it just did. Um, I've never lost that. Her name was Mary Lyons. If Mm -hmm. you're listening. Hi, Mary. I owe you a text message. Um, But yeah, they 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 said um, it's the crowd. And I was like, a crowd is unknowable. You don't know it's in a crowd. Right. An audience is manicured, self-selecting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, they've they've been cultivated, and a crowd is a mass of people who have all different reasons why they're there, and they they want different things. Mm-hmm. And so, if you think about writing towards a crowd and not towards an audience, uh, it's a lot more freewheeling. Mm-hmm. Um, approach i think to to writing if the expectation is not that people will behave as they always have but if the expectation is i don't know how they're going to behave you write differently i think that's that's really interesting i had not thought about that but it makes so much sense it it makes it was a real paradigm shift for me yeah Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So at the end of Fat Ham, though, you took a different approach than Mm -hmm. that of Shakespeare's Hamlet. Mm -hmm. Why was it important for you that the characters live? Because we're so conditioned to expect and want Black Death. And I, you know, I, 
I am a person who is preoccupied and curious about death. Um, and so you look at any and ghost and like haunting, like the the I, the notion of haunting and and specter mm-hmm. is like all through all of my work. Um, and so I, in this play, death is there, ghosts are there. I didn't. I still didn't want everybody to die at the end. The only thing that I wanted to die at the end was the source of oppression in the space. That was it. That was the only thing that I wanted to die. So that, and then, and, and even in that death, he, the, the, the source of oppression is offered a lifeline multiple times. Right. He chooses to die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he could be saved, but he won't let himself be saved. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I felt like it was going to be powerful for everybody to come to this adaptation of this play where famously everybody dies at the end and for it to be, oh, it's black people. So we get to see these black people all die at the end. And then they don't, they don't, not only do they not die, they like live like big time live like capital L. And, um, that felt like rich, um, territory for me. And it, you know, that a happy ending with black stories is a tightrope walk. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, people will look at it and say it's trivial or you're not being serious about, you know, what's, what, what's really going on. And I'm like, my blackness is like laughing too loud. My blackness is, you know, dancing too hard. My blackness is also, you know, quiet meditative prayer. So like, what are we talking about here? You know? And so I really wanted to um, to write this story where these characters all survive. And like it, it hit me pretty late in the Broadway process. And it was once we had gotten to tech and Marcel Spears, who plays Juicy, came out at the end with the crown on. And I was like, oh, my Hamlet gets to be king. Mm. That's dope. Like mm-hmm. It just it just kind of hit me all of a sudden. I was like, you know, and that you know to 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 give credit where credit is due, you know, Sahim Ali and that design team just did a really great job of not only showing the liveness of these characters at at the end, but like really exploding that um, and making them their most you know incandescent selves. Um, so yeah, that's I just was like. They should get a happy ending. I want them to get a happy ending. Even Rev pops up at the right. end and gets to like, you know, <laughs> dance and and be in a place of joy with everyone else. So, yeah. Well, and I loved it because I was like, everybody lives metaphorically also because mm-hmm. you have Opal, Larry and Juicy coming into their true selves living mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and that and which to me made it feel like they hadn't really they they hadn't really been living before. Yeah. And so yes, they they live live, but they also live. You yes. know, that's and it. And, yeah. and it was I I I think that's another reason I I I absolutely loved loved Fat Helm and and what you did with it, what you all did collectively with Fat Helm and the representation and on Broadway, not just of black folks, but black queer folks 
and um and and the celebration of that i i i I thought it was fantabulous. <laughs> so what what are some of your hopes for the current upcoming generations? Um, I hope that the next generation, um, there's a few things I want. <laughs> I want them, I want them to figure out what is the the best time in the post tech boom world to schedule when a play happens. Mm. Cause I don't think eight o'clock at night is it anymore. Um, I don't have any better answers. So I'm leaving it to the next generation to figure that out because I think it has to change in some way and, and at least become more expansive. Um, I want them to um, be more fearless than we are. Um, both in their approach to the making of theater and also just in their approach to advocating for space and mm. access. Um, a thing that I did in my career that I, I hope m- more people will look at what I did and, and follow it. Um, I never just like up and moved to New York. Um, and it wasn't because I couldn't. It was because I I wanted to cultivate things on my own terms. And and New York felt like a place where people uh, decide who they need you to be. And it's like really hard to break that. And I, I knew sort of coming out of grad school that I wanted to do a lot of different things. And so I found a place in Philadelphia that would that took all of that stuff very seriously. They took me as an actor very seriously for, you know, I had the training, but they also took me very seriously as a playwright early on. And they took me seriously as a director. And so I got to like really work out what my mission was, what my perspective was and point of view about what I think theater should be. And so when New York came around I didn't enter those spaces not sure of who I was. I entered in those spaces with a great deal of like focus and like clarity. Um, so, and and it helped me, like when I think about the Broadway experience, like the people that worked on that show from the producers on down, those were all people that felt very much in, in alignment with who I wanted to be working with, what kind of theater I wanted to make, what kind of theater I'm in, what the kinds of people I wanted to make theater with. Mm. Um, and I think under different circumstances, I would have just sort of gone with someone who <laughs> spoke the shiniest. Mm. But I went with people that spoke the language that I was speaking and I didn't have to translate things for them. And um, I, I think that was a large part of the success because we were really... Um, working together. Um, I want the next generation to not be afraid to um, land and manifest their career in um, Black theater spaces. Um, the first theater in New York to produce a play of mine was the National uh, the National Black Theater in Harlem. Still, they were producers on Fat Ham. I have a commission with them now. I'm always going to be in community and in relationship with that theater, with Jonathan and Sade. And um, building that foundation means that everything else is unshakable, no matter where you go. 
Um, and I've been invited in some lovely rooms mm-hmm. with some really lovely people. And, you know, I think about the Tony experience and like I had nice clothes to wear because Sade Lithcott took care of me and made sure that I had nice clothes to wear to these fancy things. Mm-hmm. That you that's not about theater. That's about community. That's yeah. about family. Yeah. And so finding those spaces and making those spaces your home, like it's very easy to, you know, feel like you need to like move past your own people um, to get to a kind of success. And yes, there are fewer black people at, at, at that level, but you, it doesn't mean you have to like abandon everything that has, you know, sort of got you where you are, you know, mm-hmm. praise the bridge that brought you safely across. And I, I, yeah, I want us to not forget that those institutions exist and that they were designed and built and created so that we could be doing the very thing that we're doing. Oh my gosh. And, well, it, you kind of you kind of answered our last final question, but I just in case, what is one piece of advice you'd like to share with the black future leaders of Broadway? While revivals are amazing, we need the producers and the dreamers that are going to put the next A Raisin in the Sun on Broadway. Not not a raisin in the sun again. Although, listen, a perfect play should mm-hmm. be done as much as possible. Um, but I I I I find that um, the revival is the space in which we um, want to invest our dollars in that industry, and it it makes us culturally um, an artifact as opposed to. Um, a current manifestation in some way. And so I, I think that's changing, you know, Jocelyn mm-hmm. B.O.'s show. I cannot wait to see it. Just had its first preview. Um, um, Yaya's hair braiding. Yeah. That's good with Whitney White directing. That's going to be fantastic. Jordan's fabulous play was uh, on last season. There's, there's been mm-hmm. many new plays on Broadway by black writers. We struggle. Yeah. Hard. We struggle a lot to yeah. get people in those doors. Um, and, you know, as the makers, as the people who are the movers and the shakers in the industry, we we have to sort of be guiding how we want the the crowd, the audience to to move. So, not to say that people can't do revivals. I think the revivals are fabulous, but um, there are, I would venture to say, thousands of plays that are viable for those stages. Yeah, um, that'll never see them. Um, and so then what do we do in 40 years? Are we going to still be reviving plays from the 50s and the 60s? Or is it going to be revivals of plays from now? Right. And what plays will be able to sort of fit into those slots if that's the thing that we're still doing? So hmm. that that's a thing for the future leaders. Right. Yeah, say. yeah, 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 yeah. That is a thing that I, I, I desire. And I say that as somebody that... Um, writes plays but also somebody that's like very interested in like directing mm-hmm. old plays so i get it i know why you want to take you know mm-hmm. do your version of you know streetcar or whatever mm-hmm. it might be yeah but um yeah our white contemporaries are they're they're holding space for them to to do the new stuff and for those plays to become a part of the canon right um so that's that's a thing that I, I noodle on and I, I, I'm curious and hungry for. 
I love it. Well, James, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you uh, and and just taking a peek into you know your your insight and how you and how how your process you know works. And I I thoroughly appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat with us today. It was my pleasure. I had a ball. I want to thank our guests and you, our listeners. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to spend your time with me, and I am grateful. Be sure to subscribe at bpn.fm slash bbb so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Janine Scott, and we at the Broadway League hope you enjoyed this episode of the Black Business of Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.